What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. This episode will be eligible for Category A CEUs thanks to Trinity University and San Antonio Methodist. Bubba Wilson, a friend of mine, is going to be talking about the paradigm shift in ACL recovery, about how we should be looking more at criteria-based rather than time-based progression on ACL reconstruction, ACL recovery. So without much further ado, Bubba Wilson. All right, thanks, Jeremy. So we're going to talk about ACL rehab and kind of a a new way to look at it. This talk is several years old. I looked at it for the first time. I was telling Jeremy, I looked at it for the first time last night. My interest, though I'm still interested in this, my interests have gone in a different direction um, in the last couple of years with AT's care and some other things. So um, the objectives are not going to be on this uh, slide deck. Um, they're pretty simple. And also the disclosures are the same. A few things within it are a little different, but hey, you know, it's my talk. So anyway, um, I'm dead, Jeremy. There we go. So I have no financial relationships or relevant non-financial relationships to disclose. However, if you ever get the chance, go to Alaska. It is amazing. We got to go there in the summer of uh, 2016, which was actually the last time I gave this talk. So, um, but it was, uh, it was probably our favorite vacation of all time. Uh, my daughter is also a musician, and that was her last single that she uh, she put out. Um, luckily, I'm not right now. She's just graduated college. I'm not having to uh, pony up for any studio time, uh, so that's been nice. Okay, so what are my issues with current protocols or just rehab protocols in general? They're not a cookbook, and a lot of people look at them of week this, week that, week this, and that's not how it works. Baking, you have to go by certain things. It's this much of this and this much of this mixed together, cooked for this long. A protocol is a guide. It is not the end-all, be-all, okay? Um, and I think a lot of therapists, athletes, trainers, and even the MDs just follow along. Well, we're at week this. They ought to do this. And, th and that's, I think, problematic. Um, so why do we x-ray fractures at six weeks? Well, the biology tells us that around that time we ought to be getting significant healing and we can look at that progress. We don't just arbitrarily make it six weeks, okay? There's some science behind that reasoning. And so, more importantly, not all run at 12 weeks, jump at 16 to 20 weeks, and are full at 20 to 26 weeks post-op. There are a lot of factors that, that fall into this that determine when Jeremy's ready to return or when I'm, I'll never be ready to return, but when somebody's ready to return following an ACL injury or any other injury for that matter. So kind of where did I come up with all this? Well, I was lucky enough to work for Dr. Walt Lowe for four years. Um, he is uh, one of my mentors, uh, also a friend and a phenomenal orthopedic surgeon here in Houston works with the Texans, the Rockets, U of H, uh, all over the place. He's amazing. I don't know how he gets done what he gets done and still finds time to sleep and learn and, and do things. Um, and then I took what my time working with him and went to Kingwood Park High School um, and kind of looked at some of the stuff that I learned from him and we discussed following ACL surgeries and it went from there. And then when I came to Memorial Hermann, I really brought it back back the idea full circle and started working again with Dr. Lowe, some other of the orthopedic surgeons 
and some of our therapists to kind of create this idea that I have. So if we look at a normal progression of ACL return to play following surgery, six months is Adrian Peterson. That dude's a freak of nature, okay? Every kid thinks they, they're going to come back in six months that's in high school. That's not the case. Um, you know, as I would tell them, he worked six days a week, you know, three, four hours a day to get back in that six-month time frame, and he healed like no other and, and was able to progress. If we go to the opposite end of that spectrum, 12-plus months, the 49er several years ago, Navarro Bowman, um, he was in that. Also what I call the FDTs or the P3s, which are the failure to thrives or the piss-poor protoplasms, those guys are 12-plus months. But Nav- Navarro Bowman was a multi-ligament issue, a lot of things going on, and that's not going to be a six-month time frame to return. And most everybody else in the quote-unquote normals, Gronkowski was one of those, was a nine-month process on average. If you look at the high school kids, and I'll only look at the, I can only speak for the ones I've dealt with, at six months when the doctor would clear them, they still sucked. Um, they would go out there and try to get involved in drills, and they're in the way. If you talk to them, about 12 months is when they felt normal and quit really thinking about their knee. Um, and so I don't know why we want to look at this at, well, at eight weeks we ought to be doing this, and at 12 weeks and at 16 weeks, I don't think that's how it should work, okay? So th- it's kind of just like education used to be, you know, as far as it, you do the work satisfactorily, you advance a grade. That's how I look at this. You do you put the work in, you meet the criteria, you move on to the next grade. Okay? If you don't put the work in, you repeat the grade. So in other words, if you haven't worked or you're not healing, you stay where you are. If you're working and you're healing, we keep progressing. That's pretty I think that's pretty straightforward, but it's not it's not how it's being done by a lot of people right now. Uh, and we get no seat time. Just because it's week whatever doesn't mean you're going to do this regardless. Okay? And so, in other words, we should not just advance them because we're at a certain week post-op. We should advance them when they're ready to be advanced, whenever that is. Now, if you're 12 weeks out and you're still walking with a limp and you have an extension lag, they probably need to go back to the doctor and have a discussion as to why that's the case. But, you know, we don't just say, oh, the protocol says this, let's go. What if they're not ready for that? Okay. So if we look at it somewhere between 150,000 and 200,000 ACL surgeries a year, are we doing our patients a disservice and our athletes a disservice by following what is, what is known as a current protocol of a time-based protocol? Okay, um, Are we harming our professions by doing this? And what's best for our patients as far as rehab and return to play? So I'm going to say we are doing a disservice and potentially harming our profession if we're just following along um, – you know, on traditional dogma and just saying, here we go, this is what it says, this is what we're going to do. Um, so my own personal opinion, okay? So really what it boils down to in my mind is you're ready when you're ready. So if you look at um, you look at what – if you follow along the NFL, um, they'll just talk about – somebody gets hurt and they'll just talk about the goal is week one. Week one of the season, not week one of training camp. The goal is w- week one. They want them ready to go week one, first game, not not before. None of the other stuff matters. So you should be – that's our goal. We're ready when we're ready. Now, again, they're adults, and there's a different 
they don't have to go to class and do the other things, but you should be ready when you're ready. What should it ma what should determine this? What you injured, how well it went back together, how well you heal, how hard you work. Those are the the parameters really. Okay? So what we need is a criteria-based protocol in my opinion for all phases, but if we look at some of the past literature, Dr. Paulus in 81 talked about weeks based on minimum time and specific goals in each phrase. I, I don't I don't disagree with that. Adams et al. from Delaware in 96 and again in 2012 uh, had one, but it wasn't true criteria. It was There were some weeks involved. Uh, Wilk in 99 and again in 12 uh, talked about weeks, but only in criteria for return to play. So there's – now, again, I haven't looked at this in a little bit, and I need to go over the break and, and do some more research because I think some people have done some work on this. But why isn't there a criteria base for every phase of rehabilitation? So we're going to get into those. Okay. And again, Meyer et al. in 06 talked about criteria for return to play only. So most of the criteria base is for the return to play side, not for all of it. Okay. So in my mind, each phase has criteria that must be met before advancing. So for, for instance, getting a little bit ahead, but why, when can you get off your crutches and out of your brace? Uh, when can you start running? When can you start jumping? When can you start doing agility? Those things. Every, every phase of that must have criteria before you can advance to the next, with one of those being physician approval. Okay? It ought to be based on published research. That makes perfect sense, right? Not just as the best line in parenting is, because I said so, that shouldn't be the case here. And then we've got to take in biological healing. We've got to consider that because we can't just say, hey, they're strong and they can do this, but if that graft hasn't had time to mature and the, the tunnels haven't been healing around that graft or whatever it is, why are we pushing them along because all the other things have been met, okay? So what determines a quote-unquote normal knee rehab progression? Okay, again, tissue healing, weight-bearing restrictions, range of motion restrictions, and how hard are you willing to work? Okay, so if we look at biology, tissue healing matters. We know that it's every—that's everything. Okay, we know that that tendon. If we take a—if we're taking a middle third of a, of a patellar tendon, we know that has to basically go into this process to become a ligament. That takes time, and there's certain as time parameters within there where that tendon is changing to a ligament where it's very, very susceptible to injury, and we shouldn't be going crazy during those times. That's the doctor's side of it. Okay, what kind of graft was used? That determines what we will and will not allow them to do. Is it a, is it a patellar tendon? Is it a hamstring? Is it an allograft? Um, is, it, is it a, um, a re-injury, so it's a second surgery? whatever okay fixation how well did everything go back together maybe the doctor doesn't like how that interference screw went into the bone tunnel maybe it felt a little soft and it didn't feel good so maybe that's going to delay them early okay were there other ligamentous injuries or other uh, meniscal injuries or meniscal big meniscal repairs involved that are going to slow potentially slow that athlete down okay microfractures that changes our weight bearing then there's a bunch of other uh, procedures, but these are just basics here. So if we have a chondral defect, uh, potentially that's going to change our early aspect of our motion and, and uh, weight bearing and those things. Okay, so what uses could we have a, a protocol like this for? 
ACL, obviously that's what we're talking about today. Multi-ligament injuries, meniscal, meniscal injuries, uh, patellofemoral injuries, uh, collateral ligament injuries, just isolated, okay, chondral defects. Realistically, a criteria-based protocol could be used with, without any, you could just call it a, a knee protocol because a lot of the things outside of a few exceptions are pretty standard as to what we do. Now, I'm not talking about like PCL or uh, posterior lateral corner. There's some other little tweaks in there. But if you had a medial patellofemoral ligament reconstruction, the rehab is similar to that of an ACL in the grand scheme of things. So it doesn't, we don't need 400 protocols in my mind to get this done. Okay, but if we want to go ahead, let's look at specific criteria, what's published, what's validated, widespread use and understanding. So we're using criteria that's been published and validated and in widespread use and understanding when we look at this protocol today. Okay, so the, the first two phases kind of somewhat fall together in my mind, the acute phase and the functional phase. All right, then we have a unilateral strength phase return to sport or sports phase, and a return to play in itself. Um, and again, those first two are together. Um, and as we go through, it'll make a little more sense. What are our goals? Okay, in, in phase one, full, ambul an bleh, full ambulation without assisted device or assistive device. So you've got to be able to walk without assistance normally in that first phase to advance. Okay. You get to two, we're going to initiate the jogging program. In three, we want to initiate agility program. In four, return, returning to that full sports, okay, full clearance. So let's look at phase one. So um, oh, I, just went, I just went blank on the NPRS of less than, uh, less than or equal to five. But what we put in there, were some um, standard scoring documents to see how they're doing, and I'll, I'll get it to Jeremy because I just drew a complete blank. Um, the IKDC, the International Need Documentation Committee deal, um, greater than 30. So what this is talking about is their function, is how they think they're doing. Uh, we got to have equal to or greater than zero degrees extension. We can have no extension lag. I can't believe I can't think of NPRS. Um, no extension lag, okay? Our flexion, we've got to be at least 90 degrees, but remember it takes 110 degrees of flexion to be able to ride a bike normally. So if we're not meeting these, if their function scores are down, they're ex they've got an extension lag and they don't have, I'm going to argue, 100 and, yeah, numerical pain rating scale. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, uh, if they're if they can't really get on a bike, why are we pushing them to get off their crutches or out of their post-op brace and have no protection whatsoever? That's stupid, in my mind. We shouldn't be allowing that to occur. All right, and then we got to be able to do at least 30 straight leg raises without a quad lag. If we can't do that, they're not ready to go down the hallway at school by themselves with no protection, and and be able to stabilize themselves if somebody bumps into them or they have to dodge a, um, for schools that still have lockers, a locker door that comes open or whatever it is. Okay, and then the bouncer scoring system, single leg firm, um, less than or equal to five on errors. Okay, 
Now, these are the NPRS, the IKDC, the BEST. We all, these are all validated. They're in use. And so this is not something out of the just thin air that we've put in there. And then the last one is doctor approval. Okay. So most ACLs early, the doctor will say something along the lines of weight bearing is tolerated, zero to 60 on the brace progress. Okay. And so they've already told us when they'll allow them to progress and do that. The other six are what we want them to be able to do before we progress them out of that assisted device to full ambulation. Okay. So there it is, numeric pain rating scale. Um, if we look at it, zero, we do this every day, right? Zero is nothing, 10 is shoot me, and I'd feel better. Okay. Uh, if we look at the IKDC, uh, identifies athletes who fail to return to play up to one year after ACL reconstruction. All right. Knee range of motion. If we look at Shelbourne in 09, he talks about a loss of three to five degrees of knee extension. Uh, or hyperextension adversely affected the subjective and objective post-surgical results. If we don't have that full extension at a minimum into hyperextension, we not just subjectively but objectively we're affecting that knee following surgery. Osteoarthritis is lower in those that achieve and maintain normal range of motion. We're also putting that graft at risk, too, because it's under tension more in that flex state all the time. Okay? So when can we start jogging our unilateral strength side in phase two? All right? Now, look, our pain score is going down to a three from a five. That makes sense. That should continue to decrease. Our IKDC is increasing. Our function is increasing. Okay? Um, we should be passively maintaining that zero or be symmetrical within reason we're you know some of these female athletes with 10 degrees hyperextension we may not get all 10 degrees of that back in that surgical knee 120 degrees of flexion at this point we've got to be able to flex that knee more than just being able to ride that bike so if we look at functional movement screen and there's a lot of argument on whether this means anything or not and this is not the time to debate that. But what I think the FMS is good for in this regard is just looking at movement patterns and can they function um, doing an overhead squat after ACL surgery, okay? And then uh, single leg squat test, the veil test, um, they got to be able to go at least a minute of single leg squats uh, continuously and no, no valgus dip or dive in there to do that. And then again, MD approval. So, for instance, Jeremy could have an ACL surgery, go to the doctor, and he's, he wants to go into phase to start jogging, and he's got everything except for, let's just say his, um, his IKDC score is not at our parameters. The doctor could check the box and say, once you reach your IKDC score and it gets checked off, you can move on to the next phase. So... Um, he wouldn't have to necessarily go back to the doctor to get clearance to do that. Okay, so if we look at overhead squat, uh, it's obviously from the functional movement screen. For those of you not familiar, zero to three based off of technique. Any pain, you get a zero. Okay, that makes sense. It hurts. Don't do it. So we're not going to score it as a positive. Okay, um, that's just an example of. 
there's some good and bad squats if you look at A through F. Uh, we would all agree that F pretty well is not good. That's many of our athletes in the high school setting uh, that are loading the bar, but that's a whole other talk for another time too. Um, single leg squat test. Um, so if we just, I just want to show this one because it shows if you look over at D, they're dipping into that valgus. Um, they don't have that lower extremity control right there. So um, Garrison 2012, it's a reliable measure of physical performance following an ACL reconstruction. Okay, so here it is. They've got a band on that uh, involved side. They can hold on to a touch um, down with a chair. Okay, there's some lateral work there, uh, some forward. Okay, but what we're really looking at more than anything is that single leg squat. Um, so right there. Okay, so when can we start agility training? When can we go back into off season? All right, so football, except for the lucky few, is over in Texas. So they're all in off season. When can that ACL reconstruction patient go back into off season with their teammates? When can they start that agility training? When are we really starting to wean them out of the athletic training room or out of the physical therapy clinic and back into normal daily activities. So our NPRS score is down to two. IKDC is up another 10 points to 70. So we added a Tampa kinesiophobia scale. So that's basically a mental check on how they think they're doing and do they think mentally they are ready to go back to these more aggressive, more athletic type maneuvers. Uh, this is, I love this thing, um, because that's one of the things we never really take into consideration is how do you think you're doing mentally? One of the things we would always talk about is they have to get knocked down and get up and realize their knee's still attached and everything works to feel mentally more confident. Well, why aren't we checking that with some type of documentable uh, system that's also been researched and validated? Heel height difference, so we're lying prone. Um, and we can measure this, um, left center equal to one centimeter difference. These tests get a little more involved as to uh, grading them and figuring them out. Quad strength symmetry of greater than 80% involved to uninvolved. We've got to have, we cannot have big quad uh, hamstring um, deficits. Okay, wide balance deficits, uh, less than four centimeters in each direction. Involved over uninvolved. So if we're greater than, let's say, my, let's say my right was a surgical one, and it's greater than four centimeters compared to my left, we've got problems. We don't get that box checked. We don't move forward. Landing error score scoring system. Um, that's equal to five. Okay, and again, MD approval. MD approval is in every phase of this protocol. So if we look at the kinesis. That's a nice typo. Kinesiophobia scale, it com a comparison of physical impairment, function, and psychosocial measures based on fear of re-injury, lack of confidence, and return to sports status after ACL reconstruction. That was done in the American Journal of Sports Medicine by Lentz in 2014. Big, 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 big positive um, piece of paper to put in there to check on your athletes with. Uh, quad ham strength ratios. So Schmidt in Medical Science in 14 said individuals post ACL reconstruction with weak quad demonstrated altered landing patterns. That makes sense, okay? 
Um, strength of greater than 90% demonstrated functional performance similar to uninjured. Um, this is one of those times I would argue that the old isokinetic test is a great thing to have back if it was around. It was good, then it was bad, it was good, it lost favor again, what's old is new again, but isokinetic testing would be uh, great if you had the ability to get that done in this phase of, of work. Why balance test, Whiskey, Journal of Sports, Physical Therapy in 06. Um, distance greater than four centimeters, you're two and a half times more likely to sustain a lower extremity injury. And then girls with a composite reach distance less than 94 percent of their limb length were an increase of 6.5 times so why balance test has some good aspects to it how are we doing uh right over left and for females look at your composite reach numbers com uh, involved to uninvolved and let's try to get those normalized because we're showing right here if they're not your your increased risk for another lower extremity injury and there's some other issues with females and uh, the family history and some other stuff with that so so here's your y balance okay where there's the old star excursion but it's still a it's a y balance um i like the y balance product itself because it's simple you can push it out there you can read the numbers real easy um and so it doesn't take a lot of time okay uh landing error scoring system so in 09, Padua said it's valid for identifying high-risk movement patterns during a jump landing task. So again, all you know, published and validated. Um, here's a here's a big take-home one right here from Paterno in 2010. Altered control of the hip and knee during a dynamic landing task after ACL reconstruction are a predictor of a second ACL injury. If we can't land dynamic we're at greater risk of another re-injury, okay, or another injury. It could be the other side potentially, but we've got to be able to land. Well, outside of, can you argue swimming? I mean, I guess if you're doing a flip turn, you could tear your ACL again, but outside of maybe golf, you know, for general stuff, every almost every sport, you've got to be able to control that hip and knee and that dynamic landing task, Okay. ACL patients with the reconstruction had worse landing mechanics. That makes sense. We need to be working on those and um, trying to normalize that. Okay, so here we go. This is basically the test in, in a series of pictures off a box, land, and go up into a vertical, and we're scoring that. Okay, so how do we go into full return to sports? So our NPRS is at 2. IKDC keeps improving to at least 80. Our kinesiophobia scales at a 20. Heel height difference hasn't changed for the negative. Now we're at 90 on our involved, uninvolved on our quad strength symmetry. Okay, ham quad strength symmetry really comes in now. Uh, so again, when we're talking quad strength, we're talking involved, uninvolved. Um, ham quad at um, around 55%. Okay, um, those have got to be close because we can't have uh, uh, a quad that's over, that's over um, the, the percentages are over from the ham too much. You can be a quad dominant individual and can have another 
ACL tear that way. Hop testing comes in now, um, greater than 90%. Agility test, T-test, figure eight test, okay? And sports metrics, I'm a completed. I'm a huge sports metrics fan. That's a lot of your landing stuff. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's out of Cincinnati. Um, I went up there when I worked for Dr. Lowe and got trained in this. Um, it's a great, it's not just for knees, but great lower extremity functional um, training. It goes from two-legged simple testing to single-legged uh, or two-legged simple jumps to single-legged jumps uh, that get increasingly more difficult and more dynamic as we move along. From a mental standpoint, if you can complete sports metrics with no issues mentally, you're pretty well ready to start progressing back into your sport. And again, position approved. So if we go through all these tests, longer stat in 2012, uh, if we look at single leg hop tests conducted six months after reconstruction, predict the likelihood of successful and unsuccessful outcome a year after. All right. Um, so remember, we're going single leg total distance, single leg uh, crossover total distance, and a six meter time. Um, that's been out there for a long time. Agility testing, Monroe in 2011. Uh, looking at team sports environments, um, greater than 90% reliable. Okay, so here's your T test and your figure eight test. Just looking at those. Uh, 10 meters up and then 5 meters each direction uh, going up and to the right then over to the left uh, and figure 8 okay sports metrics uh, noise in 2012 uh, published a paper sports metrics and the PEP uh, had a positive influence on injury reduction and athletic performance testing uh, they know that by completing positively cl completing sports metrics you can get an increase in vertical so um, that might be a buy-in from some coaches to use it out as originally designed, which is a uh, preseason training program. So this is it. If you look at this, they do a box jump, digitize this. They're looking at how they uh, get ready to take off the box. The middle one is their landing and take off again, and they've got a huge amount of valgus in those, all three of those realistically. Um, and you can, if you looked at a post of that same person, if they had it, uh, if they do this right, um, that would quote unquote normalize and would not be there. So what's the plan for this? We, we looked at one point of trying to publish this. Um, that got delayed because there were, there's several other research projects within the um, orthopedic and sports medicine side going on and a couple of big ones. But we still want to look at trying to publish this, um, setting up um, some things with our research guy to collect data and do some things. Uh, we, our UT physicians, we want them all to utilize this protocol when we do it so it's standardized. Everybody's doing the same thing. We have um, about 90 orthopedics. Now, not, not all of them are doing ACLs, but getting all of those that do that and try to utilize this protocol, okay, uh, having select Memorial Hermann Sports Medicine clinics following this, so it's the similar clinicians that have been trained just to take some of those variables out. We want to collect this data and, again, publish it if possible. 
but um, we want to take it if it if it does what we think it does, and we've got a little bit of minor data collection going on right now. It wasn't the global scale that we hoped it was going to be. Uh, we're just waiting for the again these last few projects to finish up. Uh, but if it does what we think we want to do, we want to take it out to other therapists and teach it to them, and then publish that data. So we we looked at several public publications or papers that we could do potentially on this data itself. So what are some of the flaws? We got to look at that. Start to finish keeping somebody to get that data. That's hard, especially with insurance being what it is. Okay. How are we going to do our manual muscle tests for our quad ratios, our quad and ham ratios? Um, everybody needs to have the same equipment. That's problematic at times. There's no biodex, no ice kinetic testing machine, whichever variety of that you like. Um, a few of our clinics have them. We looked at when they got to that phase that we would set up an appointment and they would go over, warm up, kick the machine, uh, drop their data into their file, and then come back over to their therapist if they didn't have one at their location. Um, and then the biggest, uh, another big one is poor data collection at all sites. Not everybody's going to follow along exactly. All our physicians aren't going to do it all the same early. Our, all our therapists aren't going to do it the same. So this is another one of the sets of reasons why we've delayed this. And it's not the norm. We're way outside the box on this. Not so much now as it was when we first proposed this, but it's still outside the box. Okay? And that's all I got. Okay, so on this, you are discussing uh, moving forward, and the last time you presented this was in 2016. Yeah. So what feedback have you received from athletic trainers, from doctors, from PTs, since presenting this and since bringing this to the attention, and have you seen it elsewhere besides in the Memorial Hermit system? So so the, the talk from our doctors is they all liked it. The, the question became, how are we going to get all our doctors that do ACLs to follow along with us? Um, and, and again, we started that process of trying to figure some of those things out and then realized there were, there were too many other projects in the queue that let's just sit on this. We weren't going to be able to go ahead and move forward when we – when they were trying to collect data on some other things. Um, we'll be able to work through that when the time comes. Maybe we shrink the number of doctors involved to a more manageable number that we can say, okay, this core group is going to do it. Everybody else do your thing. Maybe we start comparing that to, to ours. Um, I don't know. That's the people that have the, the PhD and the other things behind their names that understand the, the data collection, the other to figure out. Um, nobody was against it honestly, about the thought process of why isn't there criteria for every phase. Um, but, you know, we're all creatures of habit. And, and so I like what I do. Well, yeah, but, you know, my argument was, and I didn't bring it up, when I worked for Dr. Lowe, that therapist or athletic trainer would call and say, hey, Dr. Lowe saw Jeremy, and he's at 12 weeks, but he won't let him jog. Why? The protocol says he can jog. And I'm like, all right, let's go through this. What's Jeremy's motion? Well, you know, no, give me numbers. He's at about a 105 for flexion and about a three-degree extension line. Okay, is he swollen? A little bit. Okay, we'll take a little bit as a number. Um, how's, his, how's his gait? Eh, he's got a limp. Okay, but you want him to jog. Well, the protocol says, why are we wanting to jog? He can't function daily in activities of daily living. Why do we want him to go out there and stress it by jogging? And so my argument to this is, is, 
I think there's a period in there if you're not progressing early, you know, what is the reason? Was it because you had a bunch of things done so you're going to be on crutches and in your brace a little longer or you're not working hard or maybe we can't get that extension because you've got scar tissue or a cyclops lesion or whatever it is. There's going to be a point where Jeremy's not advancing. He needs to go back to the doctor. But there's also a point in there where Jeremy's going to do really nothing more than jog, jump rope, and lift weights for a long period of time. And that's all he needs to do because he needs to get strong so he can do his single leg squat test is not good or this is not good, that we're working on those things. And, and I think a lot of people go, okay, I jogged for a month, now I need to jump. But are you strong? No, nope, but I need to jump. If we're not strong, how can we protect that, that reconstruction? And, and so, you know, those things. And, and it's really getting people to look at why are we doing what we've done or is it just because I'm comfortable with it and I understand it, or does it work? And I don't think a time-based protocol in and of itself is doing a service to our patients and our families. Right, I agree. I definitely like the change to where it's, like you said, where it's school. Like, if you don't pass the first grade, you don't move on to the second grade, mm-hmm. right? And and if you can't meet these standards, then I can't safely move you forward, right? And that's definitely... Something that, you know, we, you see, we see more often, but we're also here and we work with patients who are coming from Memorial Hermann or Houston Methodist. And so it's something that be, maybe because of your talks and the athletic trainers in our area, they've seen it, right? So we, they, we've shifted more to that direction. One of the challenging things is recently we had two athletes with surgery, both ACL, one had both meniscus and LCL. Um, the other one was an ACL repair. It wasn't even a reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And so then looking at those two, you think if every ACL was the same, there's if, if, if we use the same time frame for all of them, there's no way it would work because the one, the reconstruction and that's it, feels, you know, the exercises are going, they're easier, the extension, the flexion, mm-hmm. right. the swellings decrease, the everything. But then that one that had all the work done, had multiple stitches inside the meniscus, then then that athlete is further behind and getting discouraged because their timeline isn't matching up with the other athletes whose surgery was a week later. And then we just have to remind them, hey, look at all this stuff that was done. Right. This person didn't have this done. You had this done. We're following this. This is going to be a really boring first four weeks because we can't put any weight on there. Uh, we're going to work and strengthen it as much as we can. And so the concept of moving to criteria-based, I don't – I can't see any reason not to do that. It, 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 well, the reason people, some people don't want to do it is there's more work. you got to go through their, their scoring sheet, right, the IKDC, the Tampa Kinesiophobia Scale, and look and their pain rating scale and look at it. But that, that takes you all of, like, two minutes, honestly, and you're not doing it every day. You know, you, um, and that's the other thing. When are we going to do these? How often are we going to do those ratings? And probably we would time that with when they were going back for a follow-up with their physician. But, you know, again, you're ready when you're ready. And you're ready when you're ready with the asterisk at each phase, right? So we can do a whole – we, physicians, orthopedic surgeons can do a whole lot through basically two incisions in the knee and a scope. We can do something that says get on it and get after it, and a month later you're running, cutting, and jumping in theory – or in those same two incisions, sorry, you're non-weight-bearing for six weeks, right? So, again, not every, not every arthroscopic 
procedure is the same. Not every ACL is the same. You could have an isolated ACL, and I could have an isolated ACL, and we could have the same graft, but my bone didn't feel as good as your bone, so we're going to take mine a little slower than yours. Fine. Again, what do you want to go through a second surgery? No. Then follow the rules. We're going to protect this. And as we go, and that bone looks good, we'll stress it more, and as long as you're progressing and feel mentally that you can do this and showing that your pain's decreasing and your function's increasing and your, your, all your testing is, is up to par, then we keep on keeping it. And if you can't do that, we wait. If we go, uh, uh, and it's somewhat subjective right now, if we go and Bubba's not progressing and Bubba's still not progressing, I need to send him to the doctor because he's not progressing and let's go find out why he's not progressing. Maybe he's lying on his Tampa kinesiophobia score or maybe there's something going on. You know, we got to go look at that. But I, I think there was a time, and, and if you, and he's talked about this, if you talk to Dr. Lowe now, they're, they're looking at, uh, do, they're looking at doing something similar to this, but not at this scale in his office, just looking at some of the return to play, again, some more research stuff they already had in the queue. It's nine months that they're looking at releasing these individuals. And I'm talking about high school individuals, okay? Um, that maybe you're getting them for an hour a day at best. But looking at releasing those, this is not a professional athlete or a college athlete that can spend a lot more time and, and financial considerations are only them getting fined if they don't show up or, or losing a scholarship. It's not, you know, the other things, you're ready when you're ready. Your goal is week one, game one. You know, my goal for a kid in high school is not spring ball. That's pointless. My goal is I'd like him to be able to go do most everything when we start football practice, but, you know, that first or second scrimmage, let's get him in there and get going and, and let's go, Dep all things being equal, right? I mean, again, do you have a multi-ligament knee reconstruction that's staged and a bunch of things? Yeah, I'm, not even, I, I'm just in my mind going that's a year before we worry about that. But th they could surprise us. But, you know, so – Again, take time out of it for the most part. The biology, the healing side's got some time attached to it, but everything else shouldn't. You know, again, we know at six weeks, if we break our arm, we should have good callus and pretty solid healing going on. It's not going to be 100% healed, but it ought to be stable and secure enough to go out. And depending on your sport, go do that sport if it's able to be done and it's still going to continue to heal. You know, same thing here. What do the tunnels look like? What, where are we? What graft was it? How does it have to go, you know, and, and become a from a tendon to a ligament? They know that time frame and how that works. I feel comfortable letting Jeremy progress to the next level based off of these published and validated criteria that have been created. All right, so you said you went and got trained in sports metrics. Mm -hmm. All right, so if I haven't been formally trained – and I want to implement this because it's shown to be one of the top like ACL prevention programs that we can do, like teaching them to land correctly, the cueing, that kind of thing. What would be your recommendation for me doing this correctly if I can't go get trained? Really, I'm sorry, Cincinnati. Um, it's the, the, the course is good. There's no doubt about it. But it's, if you can learn the faults, the fixes are easy. It's queuing. If they can't do it, we just move on for that day. Um, it's it, If you go to the landing error scoring system and read up on that and apply that to sports metrics, you're fine. Um, 
but I like, again, I like sports metrics because if, if an athlete can do that and do it appropriately, mentally and physically, they're probably ready for that towards the end phase of rehab and, and going back into sports. Um, but it, it's a matter of you can get all the stuff. It's on Dr. Lowe's website. But yeah, I think it's waltlow.com or Dr. Lowe. drwaltlow.com. Yeah. But you can get on his website, and basically there's here's how you do the, the jump, and it'll kind of say, you know, a lot of it is you got to stay within your area, which is kind of a three-by-three three box for some of them. A lot of it is no double jumping or no valgus. And then so, if, like, if you're doing side-to-side uh, -side cone jumps, which most, most of your athletes can't jump over a cone, so we put them a cup down. Some of them can't do that, so it's a piece of tape on the floor. But it should be over and back, over and back, not jump, jump, over, jump, jump, over, no double jumping. In control, there's a few little idiosyncrasies in there. But, you know, or doing a uh, broad jump where they can stick the landing and hold it and actually drop down into a good flexion and not have any valgus. It's pretty simple stuff, but you can kind of read on it and figure it out. You know, not have the clinician side of it, but still be able to do it and do it appropriately. All right, so tell me a little bit more about the the pain scale. I think you said it was, it was IK. No, it's IKDC is, a is more of a function scale. Yeah, so the NPRS uh, is the pain scale. And, and one of the things that we've implemented into our like daily treatments or evaluations, we say, okay, how are you feeling today? What number would you put on mm -hmm. it? And so usually I say, uh, you know, on a zero to 10, what are you right now? And then what was it? Is it at its worst? And, you know, sometimes I'll have to say, okay, so if you're being eaten alive by wild animals being ripped apart, that's a 10. Right. While you're still alive. Because everything's a 10, right? But yeah, because, and yeah. then, you know, the athlete that just finished playing came in and said, yeah, it's about an eight. Like, so you're being eaten alive by animals, right? So talking a little bit more about the pain scale and getting it accurate or, or is it, is it more relative to that person? Like if they continually report a five, but then now today it's a seven or they continue to report a seven and then now it's six and then five and then four. Uh, that. So, so what the, that is, 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 is again, is a validated researched document and that's what we wanted, but you're doing that already. What's your pain number, right? And what we want to see, if you want to just genericize it, we want to see that pain number dropping, right? There's going to be days, like we know there's going to be days if you're having ACL rehab, you're going to swell and you're going to be sore, but we should be able to, don't at me people, and that's a Twitter thing I've learned, um, so you ought to be happy, but we should be able to ice it, go home, go to sleep, wake up and feel better and not be swollen, right? Um, so yes, I just talked about using ice because it still needs to be done, but it shouldn't still be swollen and sore the next day at the same level or higher, right? Then if it is, now we got to sit, we got to do nothing, we got to work on that before we can go back into our rehab. So we know those things are going to happen. So what are you today? I'm a five. We do our thing. What do we do with concussions? We rate symptoms, right? That's what we're doing. Right. We're rating that pain. Uh, IKDC is basically activities of daily, daily living, getting a, a, out of a chair, doing those things. And then the, my favorite is the kinesiophobia scale. Mentally, how do you think you, where do you think you are? How do you think you're doing? Do you think you're getting close to mentally being ready to go back to agility? I don't know. Okay, then why are we pushing you back into agility? You know? So like on some of the, n I think on the new SCAT 5, or at least the one that we've started using that we got from um, the guy at Jacksonville, who's been on the podcast like twice, I forget. Uh, <laughs> it's the same way with me earlier. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, sent, I sent it out on social media, but 
on that on that form it says do you feel a hundred percent and if not why what number do you feel and why yeah so like on the concussion thing it's the same thing we're mm-hmm. saying what number do you feel like you are and why do you feel like you're less than 100 right. percent? right so it's essentially the same thing it, it, it's, it's very similar yeah so if i don't feel a hundred percent now we can argue a hundred percent so if i don't feel 90 percent why i just don't know if i'm ready to go get hit okay then why are we going to send you out there to get hit <laughs> let's keep doing individual stuff over here or, or group stuff where you're not going to get hit you know depending on what it is why are we going to say let's go if you t- if you take the same argument with concussion and I, and and s- all joking aside but some humor in that if i held up two fingers and you said three back in the day it'd be all right, close enough go play right and then it would be all right why don't you sit but then you can go back and play then it'd be all right well you're done but we're going to send you to practice tomorrow with a headache no big deal and now we've gotten better right we know how we treated concussions 30 years ago wasn't very good, but also 30 years ago, we didn't know what we knew now. This is the same thing. Why are we sending them out at six months because it's an arms race to, to do that because I can get my athletes back faster than you can. Yeah, but they suck. They can't function. So why are we doing that? You know, we're getting better at this. We should get better at this. But it's very, they're, they're very much one and the same. If, if I have symptoms – and I don't feel like I'm ready. If I'm not 100%, why am I coming back from a concussion? If I can't meet these criteria and I don't feel like mentally I'm ready to go run into people wh- or make cuts and dunks, why am I doing that? Ver- all the same. All right. So an athletic trainer wants to implement a criteria-based return to play from any sort of surgery, but they obviously they're looking for that doctor approval. What are some conversation tips, maybe some resources that they – might use to start that and grow that find a physical therapist because they are fairly current on all this research so ryan collins and i did this um, and he had access to the research and we went through it and looked at it we looked we talked with our research guy as well about some different things to come up with this um, phase criteria based protocol and i think you got to start looking at it and looking at your situation and go okay you know where where are where are our pitfalls here you know what are what are our danger areas that we really need to make sure we don't put them in and you, you almost work backwards the end or you really almost work from the middle the end phase is there what's our return to play criteria again our early criteria is what did you fix how well did it go together what's our range of motion and weight brain restrictions now we got to figure out the middle okay so what would you, you know, so when we sat down, what would we want them to be able to do to get out of their brace and off their crutches? What would we want them to be able to do to start jogging? What would we want them to be able to do to start doing agility? What would we want them to be able to do to start doing all their teams, you know, sports stuff? And what would we want them to be able to accomplish to be cleared and say, you're fired, get out of here, I never want to see you again. And that's how you got to look at it. And somebody may be going, yeah, Bubba, that's great, but I think you're dumb for this. I like this. Great, go do it. You know, I'm not saying this is the only one and should be the only one. I'm just saying, why aren't we doing that? You know, so whatever, you know, and then however your, you know, physician setup is. If you're at a college, it's a little easier than here because they're going to go see 30 different doctors that are orthopedic surgeons. So you can't really, you can have certain within here certain phases and tell your doctor, you know, here's what we do and here's where they're at, but it's still based off of that doctor and their protocol. So just again why why couldn't this same thing to me it works for almost every knee injury not much changes but why can't we have this for shoulders 
Why can't we create one for shoulder or upper extremity? You know, I mean, there's some things, again, you know, healing of soft tissues. If you're getting a Tommy John, the tunnels and all that's got to heal, but when are they ready to start throwing? Is it an arbitrary X on a calendar or are there criteria they've met to be able to do that? I think that's where we ought to be. Okay, look, you look great. Your motion's good. You know, your incision is healed. Your, your ligament, you know, this tendon we put in should be, you know, it's revascularizing into this ligament, but it's not there yet to go put stresses on it to throw a ball. So we're not going to go do that. Yeah, but, no, but, we don't want to do this again. You know, so ankle, hips, whatever it is, doesn't matter. I think it, we ought to, everything we do ought to be a, it should be a literature-backed, validated, criteria-based throw test. Okay, what do we do with an ankle? If we, what do we do with an ankle on the court or on the field if it happens then? How are they walking, right? Any big gross instabilities when we evaluate them? If we tape them or don't tape them, we look at well, them going back, what do we make them do? We go make them do a functional test, okay? We have just did a criteria-based evaluation and return to play for a game time decision. Why aren't we doing it for everything else? Right, and usually when I send a note to the coach in our uh, electronic records management thing, it's must complete normal RTP. And so for like an ankle injury, I usually say they got to be able to walk pain free. They got to be able to jog pain free. They got to be able to run pain free. They got to be able to practice. So in the running, I include like the cutting and stuff. Yeah, they got to be able to practice pain free before they can play pain free. And so usually it, with an ankle and all that kind of thing, and I do it with most injuries, is just a complete a normal pain-free return to play progression and so they again i'm completely with you i think the only place at the time it comes into fa into play like you said is the biological is you have to allow that bone to be reabsorbed right or you you could be that freak that's kicking butt in all areas of that criteria but you're not you're not at a soft tissue healing point yet pull the reins back and keep lifting or doing whatever it is, you're not ready yet from a healing standpoint. Yeah, but I'm strong. But your but your soft tissues aren't. So we're not going to go put them through those stresses. You know, just because you look good, eh, you know, and there's some arguments on meniscal repairs and some other things, but eh, but that meniscus isn't at a point where I feel comfortable giving those loads to it at those higher levels. No. Or that ligament or whatever it is, right? Um, tibial rod. Maybe, you know, you can walk and you can do this, but you're not ready to put greater loads on that tibia fracture or that, that um, you know, ORIF of a fibula with a, with a tightrope across the ankle. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah, you look good, but these things need to heal before we do those things. So, you know, I think, again, I think it all ought to be criteria-based. All right, final thoughts before we're signing off here, Bubba? Uh, no, I think mm. we've covered it. All right, somebody wants to get a hold of you. What's the best way to do that? You know it better than I do. I can't even remember all my stuff. Um, ATCLAT Bubba yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. Um, that's probably the easiest. Just DM me. I even know what that means. There you go. All right, so check out ATCLAT Bubba on Twitter if you want to get in touch with him, find out more, maybe get a copy of some of the, the recommended um, criteria that he has. Again, on the sports medicine broadcast, this should be eligible for CEUs. 
once we have completed this again on the podcast version so if you're looking at it live on youtube or the video that's because i wanted to have the video for backup so go to sports medicine broadcast click on the ceu tab there make sure you're registered sign in complete the test and then you should receive the certificate there so everything works out so again this first one with bubba is the test one so if we got some issues that we're working through uh, Definitely reach out to me. Let me know what's going on so we can fix it moving forward. I didn't realize I was the guinea pig. You are the test dummy. Well, I got the Usually, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So my friend Bubba Wilson, Jeremy Jackson, Sports Medicine Broadcast, and thanks uh, Brendan Moriarty for all your help with setting up the CEU situation. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com for any other information you need. Thanks.